At Utility Muffin Labs, we are dedicated to accommodating our consumer clients with uncontrived, austere, generalized, and adequate snack-based comestible muffin provisions for your cafeteria or common staff member gathering areas. We refrain from overt decorative adornment that can foment jobholder chaos and sedition. A saccharine workforce is a productive workforce. Procure your necessary muffin repository by visiting us at utilitymuffinlabs.com, on Facebook at Utility Muffin Labs, on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM, or Utility Muffins, all one word, on Instagram at Utility Muffin Labs, one word. Support the labs on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, and finally, adorn your human form with our t-shirts at tpublic.com slash users slash Utility Muffin Labs. Utility Muffin Labs, think homogenous. is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I am one of your hosts, Nathan. And the other guy who's not talking is Bob. Hey, hi, and I'm Bob. Sorry, I missed it completely. Thanks for my- <laughs> And today uh, we're going to be we're going to be reviewing Children of the Night. Uh, before we get to this book, uh, we just got like one comment I wanted to read from one of our listeners. I uh, thought it was a pretty cool comment. He has a question we've kind of already answered, but I, I feel like it'll help to give a concrete answer um, so people kind of know going forward. Uh, I just discovered your 25 years of vampire podcast recently, like last week recently, and have been binging on it the last few days. Simply put, I love it. You've not only given me great ideas and have gotten my creative juices flowing and, and coming up with ideas for Chronicles, but you've also reinvigorated my love of the game. Just wanted to share my appreciation of you guys and say, keep it up. Are you guys planning on branching into other White Wolf properties, Werewolf, Mage, etc.? Thanks for your time and keep doing what you're doing. It's awesome. Cheers, Frank. So are we going to go into other White Wolf properties? Again, we've kind of answered this already, but um, to give like a more concrete response. Yeah, we will. Um, Werewolf. Werewolf is what I'm urging Nate to. uh, Uh, Yeah, I mean, like we haven't decided what's going to come next, but. um, But we're doing all of Dark Ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all vampire was like. Right. So we're definitely going to do. I mean, it's a finite resource, right? So eventually we'll get through all the vampire books, but like books will come out. But we, you know, won't be like, oh, next week the new book comes out. Next week, another new book comes out. Like it's going to get to the point where we're going to have to like review different lines as they come out so at some point yeah you're gonna see a transformation of this podcast um but as of right now it's 25 years of vampire the masquerade until we're through 25 years of vampire the masquerade and then um i think we're either gonna do dark ages then just so we can get all of the vampire the masquerade stuff under one umbrella and then we'll probably as like the new books come out we'll probably review those in kind of like uh, as the time allows you know like you know we'll plan for hey we got a book coming out next week so we'll review that and then we'll get back in line with whatever we're reviewing at the time and i'll, and I'll let you know i'm urging Nate towards world because i like the perspective challenge hmm. it's i've read the world material nate hasn't no I'm, I'm i've read very little of it but we'll what it should that way what it should give you is that in the middle though it gives you a genuine fresh perspective on how it hits somebody right so like he reads the main book he's going to have an opinion 
I'm going to have an opinion as well. But mine's from, you know, obviously behind the scenes. His is going to be literally like, look, Jack, I just got this book in and this is some horseshit. Or very entertaining. What's what's more on that? And I think that's going to give it's going to hit a broader audience. Yeah. I mean, at some point, we're going to see a slight evolution, both like in the name of the podcast, because once we start reviewing Werewolf, like it's not 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade. It's 25 years of White Wolf, you know, or it's 30 years of White Wolf, whatever it is, you know, we're going to have to evolve a little bit. So, yeah, when time permits, you know, if we start doing this podcast more often, which right now time doesn't necessarily permit, but it could in the future. You know, our goal is to kind of do this, you know, like a full time thing. So, yeah, we're going to we're going to try to get every single piece of White Wolf World of Darkness material. Eventually, we will move on to Requiem. Eventually, we'll move on to other games, you know. So, yeah, in in the sense that there's a bunch of stuff out there that we enjoy that White Wolf has created, we're going to get to it. It's just time and, uh, and you know, time, really. And here's the fun fact. We we want to do it. Like, I mean, duh, right? No shit. But, uh, the, I mean, the fact is that it's fun just going through. Just fun it is for you guys to listen. It's the memories that come from going through this material and like a lot of these books is where were we when this happened right you know we can remember like it was weird to hear nate talk about when he uh this is podcast ago but i i don't want to i don't want to derail because we do this a lot but uh bottom line he'll get nostalgic and tell you where he was when he bought a book yeah and that's some insight that i find fascinating to the memory because i couldn't tell you where i bought any of the books save the state i was in because it's so many right and so long ago it's like i was it's foggy yeah, but uh, there and and the thing is too, like with these books, a lot of them, you know, I had at one time, and then I sold. You know, I was a young kid, so like you have money, you lose money. You need money, you sell stuff. Um, but then, like you know, as you get older, you're able to like more fill out your collection or go like, oh man, I remember this book, like the Bali Clan book, right? You know, like that. That's a big one. Like I can remember like exactly where I was when I bought it. You know, I can tell you the time of the year, but I couldn't tell you anything else that was going on at the time you know what i mean oh, you know just, what it's not even true i just remembered yeah i did remember there's a music book but that's because of the right exactly it's just like those little things because i like, had the face pussy yeah that was it, on it man that's where it was you in um so yeah definitely uh frank we're gonna continue to do the other lines and you know uh there's gonna come a point too where we might do other white wolf stuff that isn't popular you know games that aren't around anymore games that are out of print um, whether, you know, however we do that, whether it's for our, um, Patreon backers or it's just like regular podcast, we're going to get there. It's going to take time, stick with us, but we'll get through the catalog. We'll get you. Um, so, uh, for you guys listening, uh, we really appreciate you listening. If you have questions, um, send it to our utility muffin labs email. You can hit us up on Facebook. Um, there's a ton of different ways you can get a hold of us, Twitter. Um, and, uh, just want to let you know. If I seem a little high strung or wacky today, uh, this is the first podcast we've ever done that did not involve me having a cigarette beforehand. Right. I am three days without cigarettes. So And congratulations, my friend. Doing it's a good big thing. Trying to get healthy and tobacco free. So yeah, if I seem a little weird, <laughs> that's why. Medicine. So all right, children of the night. Word. What can we say about this book that isn't said right off the bat? in the introduction first and foremost i want to add a caveat 
as we go through this, remember we're entertainers. It's an entertaining yeah. podcast. We're going through this to read it as two guys who love the material, who read it a while ago, have it again to read it for friends and right. just give you our opinions on it. Right. That said, if there's dates, figures, facts, things that you know that we get skewed or sometimes wrong because memory's a bitch, um, deal with it. I mean, that's why we tell you to buy the book if it's good, right. or in our opinion, don't. And it's that simple. The, so. At the end of the day, every one of these podcasts is a review of the material. It is a book review, much in the same way that, um, you know, those who can do, those who can't review. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what's going on here. We're not here necessarily to give you an education. We're here to entertain you. We're here for you to go, oh, yeah, these guys who have this much experience have read this material and think like, oh, it's good material or, oh, it's not good material or is it valuable to your collection? Is it worthwhile to have for your game? But we're not here to give you the play-by-play -play of White Wolf's material. White Wolf already did that in their books. Right. That's, right. you know, this, this does not replace you going out and reading this book. Just because we describe it, we're not cliff notes. We're not even we're not even that level. We're not even the idiot's guide. No. Okay. No. It's just it we're is just what it is. Two idiots guiding you through which books are worth purchasing. And here's a I wanted to read this because I think it's entertaining and it really will help for people who I've noticed like reading through message boards and and you know, just being online, there's like two camps of people. There's one camp that's like canon characters, meh, throw them out. Don't care. I'm building my own world. And that's awesome. Then there's other people who are like obsessively compelled to put together White Wolf's world exactly the way that they put it together. Like I imagine a wall with a bunch of pins and lines and everybody, <laughs> you know, like this, this works here because this happened here. Either way is correct. But I think that um, the way that uh, it's put in the introduction here is worth just going over real quick. Uh, this is the kind of book that gives a game developer hives. I think that in and of itself says enough about this. Uh, he says, no two storytellers run their vampire games the same way. For too many, uh, far too many variables exist for every game of vampire to share common styles. Some storytellers offer more experience points to, to their players than others do. Some storytellers are far more liberal in allowing strange bloodlines and disciplines to their characters than others. Some chronicles allow horror and mystery to take a backseat to action and adventure. Which combination is correct? None of them and all of them. In the end, Vampire is a game, and the only element of any import is whether or not the troop is enjoying itself. And that's really the bottom line. Is your game correct? Yes, because your players are having fun. Is your game incorrect? No, because your players are having fun. If your players aren't having fun, go back to the drawing board and reassess, and that's it. Right. And to give a tidbit, <clears throat> how I use it is in the middle. And, and that's okay. Like, I love taking... like. A lot of people remember my Chicago by Night game. Bob, go back to that game. And what they don't realize is that I was using the White Wolf characters heavily. Right. And that the NPCs that were very intricate and very much to know that I did put a lot of detail and whatnot into, I had that energy to make those NPCs because I did use, I let them offset the load. Right. They built the city. I focused on the plot. And that's, and that's how they work. So I believe in a melding of the two. That said... I don't like having Theo Bell jump in on wires for no reason. <laughs> right. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. I'm not. I'm not looking for Spider Man to this. You know what I mean? Right. That's just me, and kind of to each his own, though. But again, you know, that's just what it said. If they, everyone's having fun, that's where it's at. Right. That and it, that's really the truth of the matter. Like, obviously, there are themes and concepts that are inherent to this game. However, they really don't have to be because at the end of the day, you are just running a game or playing in a game with you and your friends. 
And as long as what's being presented to you or what you're presenting is fun and entertaining and you're having a blast, who cares? Like you're not beholden to anybody. There's no grade at the end. It's just a game and you should all have fun. That being said, this book will give you an outline of a ton of characters, but I think it does a little bit more than that, Bob, doesn't it? It does. And uh, there's two points. One I pre-discussed with you, but the other one that just lightning hit the brain is just how they said it. There's a labyrinth. And in what we've even reviewed, and we've just touched the tip, right? Right of of its inception to the revisions. Now that we're getting into to even V twenty later when we get to that, but there's there's tons of revisions, and thus there's characters named that almost happenstance. They get more detailed and then get completely changed as they go. And the children of the night books, like at this point, as we ramp up Gehenna, boom, right? Here's a book with all the canon people that help the ebb and flow. So we're gonna list the leaders in this in the in the Black Hand. We're gonna list the uh, inner councils, new justicars. We're going to list who's the warlord, who's not. And we're going to throw that in there. And they're doing it because they want to hit the enthusiasts like me and Nate and yourselves. Mm-hmm. And they also want to be able to say, okay, cool. Here's the starting right. right here. It is. And I can't tell you how many times I've watched a white wolf booth at Gen Con. Those poor people work at the booth <laughs> who are bombarded with questions around this time. I can remember right. it when they're like going, why the hell are there no stats for the prince of so-and-so? And where, why, where's the inner council so-and-so? And I feel this book was like, here, stop it. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. Just just cut that out. And the, the second half of it is, how did they create them? The secret formula that white wolf uses to make their characters is in this book. And exactly what it is, buy this book. Right. <laughs> it's in there. We're not giving it to you. Oh, yeah. But it's you also there. note that in in the the description there at the beginning, it says, hey, you want to build an elder? Here's the general rules that we follow. But also, you'll notice that this character spent a thousand years trying to perfect this. Yeah. And that's why he doesn't, the, those rules don't apply to him. And you'll notice that this character over here went through all this rigorous training for 500 years. And that's why this doesn't apply to him which means essentially we're going to give you a skeleton and it's up to you to build whatever it is that you're trying to build. But what I say is this, it's perfect because this book put in perspective when it gives you when you're getting wonky is what I like to say. If you, if not everybody is super creative, but if on those nights when you were creative and you were going through making a character, if you didn't know that someone shouldn't have 10 dots and one discipline at eighth gen, this book sort of puts it in perspective. Do it if your game's having fun, but if you're looking to hit a, you know, you know your whole audience isn't that way, it's like, cool, here's the safety net, but feel free to cut it loose if you want, just FYI. <laughs> and you were talking about Bell. This, this again, is one of the best lines. Uh, the very moment uh, this book hits the shelves, the very second Archon Theo Bell makes his appearance in a game, some combat Gumby twink with eight levels of celerity and a shotgun full of Dragon's Breath rounds is going to lay him to waste. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's why, like, this this kind of stuff can be very difficult because this isn't just supposed to be a book of antagonists with stats that you can throw at your players. Right. But if that's what you want to do, cool. It's your book. It's your money. It's your game. So the nest egg of why this book's in creation, and you can't miss this, this isn't a read-between-the-lines thing. Mm-hmm. Some people read this book and treat it as a dictionary. Right. And as is. I encourage you to treat it as uh, the conspiracy it was written to be. And that is, it's Gehenna, and it's telling you why these people have a background ramping up to Gehenna. For instance, we're going to go over a series of Asimites here off the bat that I literally went through and just noted interesting tidbits to help paint this conspiracy for you 
to show you how you can tell a compelling and powerful story from characters in this book. And that's just one possibility. Right. Right. Because they will never say definite in this book because it's already written. It's, it's immutable that this is exactly what we intended. But I can tell you a compelling story as to why that's perfect if you've read certain other materials that go with it and you can have fun with that and obviously get an idea where my brain comes from. But the point is every character in this book does that. It's a wealth of knowledge to fill it in and it gives you a reason why we don't have every city book by night or, you know, every, I don't know what you want to call it. There's, there's nobody, there's no blueprint book to tell you how to run a game. Well, and the thing is too, that the way that this book has been designed basically from day one and as you've gone through different revisions and things have been updated, is that you you come to learn and understand one thing about Vampire the Masquerade and really the world of darkness as a whole is there are very few inalienable truths. Most things are up for speculation. There's historical points, right? There's the formation of the Camarilla. There's, you know, the... Uh, the dark ages, we kind of have like a idea like this happened at this time, but what happened there? Who was involved? It's all word of mouth. It's all, I, you know, I witnessed this or, you know, this character was there, but it's kind of like everything is being told from a different perspective and everything about that character changes that perspective, whether it's the path that they follow, whether it's their agenda, whether it's the how in touch they are with their beast, whether it's their motivations. And you look through, like even even when you sit down and you play like the Giovanni Chronicles, there's a guide there, right? But your characters, the, the players playing the characters that are in that game are going to change that. So what you do in your game is not ever going to be exactly the same as the outcome in modern nights. Right. Because everyone's perspective, everyone's little fingers in the pie are going to change that. So I would just bear that in mind when you sit down and you build a game and you start putting these characters in and going, this is canon. But is it? Right. <laughs> so anyways, let's let's move on to some of these these characters here. So we start with Alana Jav, the uh, Seraph of the Black Hand. Off the bat, it gets into the signs of the Sabbat. Why start there? Sounds cool. Everybody likes Sabbat. Right. So, you know, I'm interested in reading about it. Um, what to say about him? Just really some hot buttons, right? Um, first and foremost, he is definitely, I would say, one of the martial strengths that the Sabbat has, especially in the Black Hand as a Seraph. His military experience is immense, starting with, you know, uh, he rode with Temujin, uh, which, you know, is a Genghis Khan, which, by the way, if you didn't know, Genghis Khan means the ruler of all. That is not his name. That is his title. His name is Temujin, who is Genghis Khan. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how it works. Why it's important? Because this dude rode Alana Jav with the ruler of all back when he was breathing. Right. Right? That's dope. That's, that's, that's awesome, right? Right. But then you get an idea that as they're conquering and going through in those times in that era, that they couldn't lose. That's just what it felt like to be a Mongol in that era. That the known world that they knew it, everyone fell like wheat. And there was, that was that. Until they end up getting into a place called the uh, the Birkin Mountains, and I may be butchering that, but it's uh, it's near the Russian bold, near the Russian border in Mongolia. I looked it up. I looked it up because I was curious. Because for those of you who are fans of the Werewolf brand, there is a what is it Rage Across Russia supplement. There's a lot that happens in in, in the areas there, and it's interesting to see that this is here. Right. <clears throat> and they even mentioned his background that he knew it to be a cursed area. That's what they knew it as. Well, it's there he gets embraced, thus enforcing that. But he went there. The Khan did not travel there. 
And because of that, um, he meets his, his end. Now, keep a hold of that, because later on down the road, we're going to get to Karsh, similar background. <laughs> now, Alana Jav is, statted-wise, just to let you know, he's a monster. He's, he's someone right. who's, who's skilled without peer in all things martial. He's a tightly wound coil. Uh, they describe his disposition as being someone who's very on edge, a controlled fury, if you will, who's just waiting for the next war. Right. Very interesting guy. And we'll put a note there. Uh, Dejua. Put a pin in it. <laughs> yeah. Dejua, Seraph of the Black Hand. Now, this is interesting because we went over the Asimite books at length. We went over the Path of Blood. Right. So, for the Patreon. And uh, that said, Dejua is like a literal bastard child of all of that. He's he's like your bad boy Asimite. He's the Asimite that I... He's the, he's the player I would have told, fuck off till summoned. <laughs> and, then, and then went, okay, wait a second. All right. You, you talk a good game, right. you're at the line. So if you're wondering where my line is, it's this character, and he's written well. Uh, he, Dejua is someone who was, in, who was embraced during a war, and um, the war is not important only to know the... I stick to the emotional disposition as to why he was made. Right. During this particular encounter back in the day, um, Seljuk Turk is what he was, and they warred, and he lost. And on that battlefield um, that night, his sire kind of came to, well, feed. It's what vampires do. Right. And instead of just feeding, he finds this guy mortally wounded who somehow lived through the day, surviving his enemies coming through to kill those who are wounded, not dead yet. He climbed into a hole and covered himself with corpses. And of course, a vampire finds him. And as the vampire gets closer, Dejou only knows to lash out with a weapon. And this cold-blooded Asimite makes it kind of a test. He says, how long is he going to hold out? What's he going to do? And every time he goes there, like a wild animal, he just keeps lashing out with this broken sword. Until finally he looks weak enough, the Asimite goes there to grab him, and then Dejua lashes out the broken sword, the Asimite knocks away, but then gets wounded by the secret weapon he had in his other hand, thus earning him his, his ghouldom. Right. And kind of interesting, right? It's a guy who just, you know, whatever. But as a ghoul, he noted this guy wanted revenge, Dejua. And why is it important? It's kind of a bad idea to get somebody to be a trained assassin who only wants revenge. Right. Because isn't that quintessential? You want an assassin to be emotionless. You want him to be somebody who can divorce themselves yeah, from you, that. You don't want to train him to go exact revenge. You want to train him to be an assassin, a cold-blooded, heartless killer of necessity. Exactly. And then they do a brilliant thing. They tell you how he doesn't get to have his revenge. He's not fully aware of why he's healed or why his martial skill is going directions greater than ever did. And he's watching all his enemies age and die. Like, they literally, everyone he would have gotten his revenge on is too old or too infirm and does it really matter because time has them? But he still has this vengeance in him, this rage. And what they're describing to you is that he has a, he has a flaw. He's berserk. Mm -hmm. It's on him, right? And I think right. it's unique that they give it to him and you know call it that. But they also do it in a way that in the background, it's not like, well, he took the berserk flaw. So they're, you know, they, <laughs> right, they right, give reason exactly. to it. But what's the interesting point? So what happens is he ends up violating one of the SMI pillars. He spends 14 years in training earns his embrace, fine and grand. He's in the path of blood, very successful. Without, He's peerless in hunting down people and getting a chance to kill him, but he chooses the wrong guy because he wants to hunt the greatest, prey, uh, greatest predator of all, uh, his own clan. Right. That's where he violates the Kabars in his own heart. And when he decides he's going to kill Azim or Ball, he has no idea who this guy is. He just ups and says, you're dead. Well, Azim <clears throat> is the next one we'll talk about, but let's just say Azim ain't no, he's not new. And so when Dejua walks up, he embarrasses Urzim. He, or, uh, excuse me, he embarrasses Dejua, beats him handedly, 
And instead of giving him a clean death, he forces him to learn better. He reforges Dejua and teaches him and trains him and actually ends up putting him off the path of blood and onto the path of Cain. Miraculous, right? Right. Because as we know, if you go to Alamut and you train and you're done, you're path of blood. There's no exception. That's where you end up. He went through that, but he was young in the path. Path of Cain's a better fit. Why? He's no one to follow Hakim because he can't obey the Kabars. And so that's the distinction that makes it interesting to me is that it leaves in there that, okay, before I would have said, you know, anyone would have said to be of the unfettered, as they're called by in Alamut, the, the anti-tribu, you pretty much would have to be embraced there. Right. Well, who's this halal guy they talked about, <laughs> right? Who's the halal? Is Azim the halal? No. And here's where I lay the first seed of conspiracy. The sabbat the Asimites have been using as a training tank for the very best warriors that could answer the call of a path that seems more fitting to those who are worthy. What I mean to say about that is that if you didn't follow the path of Cain, but we're like an honorable court or we're still on low humanity, mm -hmm. at the time someone comes calling, we could take you in. Because clearly you can follow a better way, which would be path of blood. We need you to be our fanatics, not just any old fanatics. Right. So to everyone else, path of Cain adherence and whatnot, we give you the hello. Every 500 years, I forget what magic number, the eldest Asimite is ritually diabolized to choose a new one. Why is that? Well, it's so you can't form your own clan. <laughs> you can't go and form your own sect. Why? Right. Here's Dejua sitting here acting on his means and, uh, you know, jumping to politics to try to try to better himself, but he's serving himself this right. whole time. Right. As you read him. And to a mentor like Razimur Ball, who's a fifth gen Methuselah, not by, not by Diablery, by right. simple age, clearly he doesn't get ritually Diablerized. It's just not going to happen. And to, and to roll into Razim, real right. quick, unless you had something to add? No, I no, I mean, you, you go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> me off. So, Azim Urbal is a seraph again, and um, this is interesting too, Dejua is a seraph, so right. is Azim Urbal. Remember, Azim trained and mentored Dejua and helped him rise through the ranks to where he is. There's got to be a reason someone like that was. Now, Razim, he predates entire civilizations. Yeah. Just yeah. that right there. Right. Um, I mean, these these are like ridiculously old. Like, I when you talk about the the Camarilla, oh, it's an old boys club, you know. It's all these uh, <laughs> ancient, you know, vampires. This will show you uh, the Sabbat. At least the Black Hand is no different, and we're not talking like the True Hand that lives in the land of Oz. We're talking about. I'm sorry, some of you really like the True Hand. I don't want to, you know. We're talking about Sabat Blackhand. Um, I mean, this this dude, when when there's like a question mark near like when they're embraced, like it shows his embrace is 4800 BC, maybe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, we're not sure. Um, and then and then the very next character that they have in here, the Seraph of the Black and uh, Ellie Melek. They have a uh, a biblical reference, right? Right. His embrace is <laughs> Ruth one three. Like, okay, uh, you know they don't even know what generation he is. Like, that's how old this thing is. They're like, man, man. <laughs> there, there was like, um, you know, it, it, it was biblical. <laughs> we have no clue. It's a to fish on her zeb. Important important notes here. Corazin, remember that name. It's going to be very important in the Bali clan book when we hit it.
but or actually the estimate revised it's going to mm-hmm. be very interesting when we get there too but there's a big to do when Corazon and the Asimites squash it they go in there azim is actually one of the ones in print who was there who went there to do just that it's also important that he's cited as being a renowned demonologist right and handling that and thousand other titles and jobs he's held most importantly i would like to add that uh he exists in element before the unfettered left right right I'm basically painting you a conspiracy. Here's a guy who sat in Alamant when Alamant was Alamant. This is before they caught that Nosferatu right. sneaking in the cam came on. This is when Hakim last sat the throne. This is someone who saw all that. He's been there the whole time. He's seen what they do. He was part of what they did. The call to Corazon came. He answered the call. He came back. How in the blue hell does he end up being in the Sabbat? Answer simple. If you remember from the podcast and the books we've already been through, there was literally a tough decision the eldest had to make. And how the hell is he not the eldest? Right. Right? Decision's really, really easy. I want you to think on something. Urshul Gee is a big name in this book very much so. When he wakes up, the curse is broken and that's that. But Alishrods is chilled. Supposed to sit as the most preeminent sorcerer in Element, the mm-hmm. Amir. Now, does it make sense if you were a Methuselah? Not even Methuselah, just this, this, this plot that we know Alamut stands a chance that everyone's going to turn on them again. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. We're eating everyone. We're, we take no allies. We're killing all the get of Cain. Someone's going to come for us in the group. Well, we're going to have to survive. Right. <clears throat> so I have two chilled, says Urshul because Zemer Ball has no listed known sire. Right. 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 Now hear it out. He's fifth gen. We know Urshul Gi's fourth. Right. Right. Al Shrad's old fifth and believe he didn't diabolize we'll double check that later and earn a second here my theory is, is that there were two children he made one had to go away go with the other unfettered to guide those warriors who refused to bend a knee who refused to turn from the face of hakim to become something else and to survive that was the first pure strain of asimites that went azim led them he became part of the sabbat to create the think tank of warriors that would later on answer the call to return when needed, when the sabers are rattled, so to speak. Now, I want you to keep this in mind because in Azimer Ball's background even says how the Black Hand is starting to question what he's doing. That out of nowhere, um, he seems to be aligning, you know, dominions and whole cells of people towards his own way, towards his own being. And uh, like dancing to his own tune, not necessarily Sabbat. And all his responses to them is to give a subtle smile. So this guy has the potential of the very best with him. However, he has the jewel up there. Why? Right. And it doesn't make sense. Now, it does when you learn that the Jua has a tie-in with Tariq the Silent. Now, Tariq the Silent is best friends with Jamal, if you recall. Remember me pointing it out in the previous podcast yeah. where we read it? It's like, man, I didn't know that. It's interesting. Here's what my brain was scratching at. And that was the fact that Tariq, here he is, running around, refusing, refusing to, to belong to any group to be cursed, nothing. You will earn him or not. Right. And uh, cool, he's red-listed. You've earned your place. Everyone wants you dead. Well, here's Azim, and you're wondering how he's slipping all these nooses. It wouldn't shock me one bit to learn good old Azim occasionally has been throwing out some nest eggs right. to help him out. But what you can't account for is when the Tremiranti Tribute captured Tariq. And when they have him captured, they try to force convert him. Hey, you join the Sabbat or else, and Tariq refuses. To join any sect is to refuse the teachings of the path of blood. Right. It's that simple. He didn't leave, you know, just to now, oh, yeah, you caught me. I guess the prize is I suck. 
Nah, he was rather deaf. That was his goal. And they went, you know what? Suck duck. Quenching the lambid flame, which is the only jump the shark moment I think you'll have. Uh, because quenching the lambid flame was a ritual made awakening Diablo, yeah, wasn't by, it? By, so I believe, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to recall back to one of the, what is it, first edition Diablery Mexico, Mictlan Tecutli. Exactly. Uh, Developed a ritual so that the children he embraced, because uh, I believe he's he's either fourth generation or fifth generation. I, again, it's it's been at least a year since I've even opened the book when we right, did the review. Right. Um, but uh, very old Gangrel, uh, one of the one of the gods from Mesoamerica, and uh, in order to um, prevent his children, I believe from from sleeping too long. So that they would require less blood to wake up and serve him. They would require less to to stay awake. He uses this ritual that basically changes them from like fifth generation, whatever they were, to 13th generation. Exactly. It basically makes them as youthful as possible. Yep. It, it thins their blood. And somehow, maybe we'll figure that out in a different book. We probably will. Uh, the Tremere Anti-Tribute end up with this. Now, here's an example of them giving you a MacGuffin. That's what that is, right? Right. It's like, surprise, here it is. This is how we make sense of it. Right. They're clearly building on something here. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, the re- they're, they're definitely trying to tell a tale, and they're trying to tell a tale. And that's that's the thing. Like, you'll note that all of these characters, they're they're just a bunch of, they're a collection of stories, right? Yep. They're, they're tragedies and villainy from the perspective of all these different characters. And every one of these characters, you know, a lot of people... I don't know, you know, I don't I don't want to say like 50% of people, but a lot of people have a tendency to go, all right, um, here's Tariq the Silent. Uh, oh, that's weird. He's 13th generation. Um, Tremere attributed a thing. All right, I'm done with that. I don't need to know anymore. Right. But when you read these books together, you start to see little patterns, little tales being told throughout the course of this book, how these characters interact with each other. Or how one thing that's happening here is affecting something that's happening way over here. And you start to, you know, have that wall with all the photos and the lines and the maps, you know, where it becomes kind of like a police investigation into what's really going on. But even those, you know, they they shouldn't ever be telling a concrete tale. You got This it. is a world of rumors and mythology and, you know, hearsay. And, and I think that that's important to note, that all of these stories, they're telling something, but it's you. It's you, the storyteller, that's going to run the game, that's going to tell the story for your players. And it's, it should be unique every time, you know? And my, my, I always thought, like, when I first started playing this game, like, all right, here's all these, like, super powerful, badass characters, but why do I need to know these characters? Like... When am I ever going to have the opportunity to interact with them? And I think that a lot of what this is telling you, too, is that, yeah, when you buy that core rule book and it says make your seven, five, three, that's what it is. But that's not what it has to be. You can very well make a, a game that's just an Asimite game, right? Or it's just a Camarilla Justicar game. Or it's an Archon game. Or it's an Alistair game. Or, you know, it's a Sabat Inquisition game, Right. You don't necessarily have to do, you know, it, every game doesn't have to be bloodlines. You know, right. it doesn't have to be like, I'm, damn it, I'll never know my sire. Here's the prince. Go do my thing. I'm, a, I'm the authority figure. You know, not to diminish that game at all, but not everything has to be that. If you're at court, it's a Camarilla game. Thank you. Can be. 
but even that has opportunity for your, you know, your youthful neonate player characters to get little hints here, to get mysteries. Hopefully, they want to pull a thread and unravel it and see where it goes. For sure. And that's and that's hard to do. Yeah. But this is also showing you a technique that's very beautiful that you as the player use this book as examples of right. how a great background, how background becomes great or becomes minuscule. For instance, they spend very little time on detailing out this is what was going on in history. Right. Or this is what his mommy was like. This was it's like this is the area he was in. Here's the time he was in. Here's the plot development of how he started to get targeted as a vampire. Mm -hmm. And then here's where the vampire made him. And here's what shithead did as a vampire right. up to this point. Why is th that's important because then you're getting it. When you get to that point where you're banging that background, you could divorce yourself from every great thing in the world that happened to focusing on specifically why you're great right. and what you're doing in your background. That's, that's when you're going to find, make, find peace with what you've made and are comfortable with playing it. And you'll find your own voice. That said Tariq. To finish out the button point to understand, because I don't want you to lose it when we do the revise again. Right. Tariq is set up here in Children of the Night to be something phenomenal. For instance, um, in his background now, they talk about how after that whole quenching the lamb and he's 13th, it breaks him. Spiritually, it breaks him. He, he gets disheartened. Uh, his path of blood rating even lowered. It's down to a three, I believe, at that point, because he's just listless. Right. Because he, remember, it was it's ritual... It's religious fanaticism. He was getting closer to Hakim with every diablerie. He was he was getting closer to where he came from right. as far as he's concerned. And that fanaticism had to have been powerful. But when someone steals it from you, right. everything you were, it just 500 years, right? Gone. Right. He's he just he wants to die, but he's nobody's bitch. Is what it comes down to. He goes to the first city. Right after, right after the Chimirini trip, you fuck with him. He goes to the first city, dives into Elysium like a psychopath, and three people run, and the fourth doesn't even put up a fight. <laughs> they all recognize who he is. They're like, oh, shit, it's the red list. It's great. And he ends them. But he doesn't right. diabolize the person. He shreds them and leaves. And everyone's like, he's gone insane. Now, here's where you tie in uh, Dejua. Dejua goes, I see political advantage. If I can get the Tariq the Silent to come over, that's awesome. But that's him also forgetting everything he ever learned in Element. Right. The whole reason. Right. All the Kabars. He's now trying to manipulate Tariq to join when Tariq is literally in the club that never was cursed. And and one of the OGs. And that's and that's that. And so he makes it to where there's a there's a hand dominion that's gonna watch him. Because right. Tariq used to have a spirit. And that's what the Tremirianti Tribute found him with and got rid of was the spirit that would give him a heads up when he's about to be jumped. That's how he didn't get caught. Well, he got caught and they got rid of it. Dejua goes, cool. I want you removers, this this dominion. I want you all to go. Keep tabs on him. Right, right. He, he's got this little black hand column, you know. It's like the first Sabat character that is like, I'm not Sabat. And they're like, but you are. And he's right. like, no, I'm not. And they're like, we're going to watch your back anyways. And he's like, fuck you guys. But also... I mean, it's kind of cool. <laughs> and it's right. It's super cool, right. though, because that, that exact insight is exactly what's in the Asimite Revised, where Tariq gets used to having him around and feels like he's at home again. Right. At Alamon, like it's rekindling a spirit in him that he had thought gone. He would never get back. More importantly, though, Dejua knows the moment Tariq finds out, if he finds out I've been using him for political gain, motherfucker, it's on. Right. Funny enough, they will, right? And that's what the Asimite Revised reveals. 
is that uh, uh, Dejua Juj gets got. It's that simple in epic fashion. And this isn't. It does not stop. Yeah, sorry. I'll deal with that. <laughs> but basically, but basically, ask my revisal. I'll tell you the fate of Dejua is that Tariq finds out and Tariq goes as you expect him to. And that is to blender and kill. And when we get there, because again, I'm going off of memory because we didn't revi- we didn't review it lately. I'm almost positive that black hand goes with him. That column stays with him uh, because there's a bond that develops, right? Mm-hmm. I'm watching your bag. You're one of the you're one of the greats. They don't abandon him, which lends further credence to me, if memory serves anyway. Right. Or Zemer Ball's plan all along. So, um, I I definitely uh, I think that that's a really important thing to to mention now. Look, we have to be totally frank with you people. There are 100 pages plus 101 pages of characters in here. Another little thing I wanted to mention before I get off topic and back on topic. Another thing that these books, or at least the way that White Wolf has like made their characters since second edition and to some degree first edition as well, I feel like, you know, I always had a problem with writing character backgrounds. Like, what's too much of a background? What is, like, how long is too long? How short is too short? You know, am I writing a narrative? Am I, you know, am I writing a a three-page background, a ten-page background? And I don't know why it took me so long to get this, but now, when I make a background for a character, I literally just use this template. Right, I use the template that they make, the background, the image, role playing hints, and then you know, obviously, I make character on a character sheet. But right. I use I use this kind of template to make the character, and it serves two functions. Like, yeah, if I ever wanted to use it, like make my own little notebook of backgrounds, or do like some of that storyteller vault stuff. Great, you've got a place for your characters. But also, I feel like kind of writing it in a similar vein as they write it in their books. Like, it just helps to fit into that mold. You need focus. Right. One of the things in writing is know how, at least attempt to know the length of the story you're trying to say. Because if it gets beyond that, you're you're just basically spitting booty chatter. Right. It's that simple. You're just lost in your own thoughts. And you don't want to do that. And with this, if it's kept concise, if I give you, if someone ever gives you an assignment, I've done this to people before, um, and I've been like, cool, here's what it is. You're limited to a thousand words. Have at it. You gotta tell me your tale in a thousand words. Be as old as you like. If you can do that in a thousand words, fantastic. Right. But it has to be, as a reader, makes right. sense. And and I think, too, it's very important for you as a player. Um, you know, you have those key moments, those things that got you to where you are. But, you know, it's like real life. Like, yeah, there's a bunch of things that have happened in my life. But all of those rich little details, those are like memories that I can call upon later. They don't have to be in my background. Exactly. Right. Unless they were like super important, you know. You don't necessarily need to put them in. You don't need to write a novel for a character. You just need to write concisely and you need to write the important stuff. And also, like for me, writing down role playing hints has become like a super important aspect of playing a character. You know, if I'm ever like, hmm, what do I think I would do here? Let me look at my role playing hints that I made, right? These are these are tips that I use and they're tips that your storyteller is going to use to play these characters as well. Right now, Bob looks like he just saw a car accident. So, um, <laughs> what? 
All right, we're going to skip ahead. I just want to tell you, if you've ever wondered, I've been asked this a lot, uh -huh. and I told you, people like, oh, who's your favorite character in White Wolf, period? And a lot of people thought it was Theo Bell. Some said Lucida. It's not. It's actually Black Wallace. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite Lissambra. It's, it's my my favorite character, period, that White Wolf's ever put together. He's in there. I won't go over it, because that would literally, it's just for myself, aggrandizement of why I like this guy. That's I would love to play that guy in a game, right. but that's aside the point. What gave me the, ugh, Look, was the fact that we're on Velia the Vivisectionist and Elaine Cassidy, Cardinal of the Land Beyond the Forest. Right. We mentioned this last podcast, and yeah. both of us were very good by memory to remember this entity. But did you know the wife is a 10-year-old Boston socialite? Absolutely. Now, you would guess the age, I think, was it exact? I, I think I probably said 12-year-old. Um, I, I didn't have a very granular grasp of the uh, information that was presented. However, uh, I remembered it was a child. And it was a, uh, a very old uh, shamse that uh, the story goes, uh, Velia the vivisectionist, uh, a paragon of the path of metamorphosis, and sees this young 10-year-old socialite, and she's essentially like a little black widow. She's just a vile, you know, just like gets into a position of absolute power within her family by knocking off a sibling and like putting her m mother in a catatonic state. And she's an adorable little girl, right? She's like um, the good son. Do you remember that movie with yep. Macaulay Culkin? Very much like that type of character. And so he's like, Hey, uh, I'm a monster of the night. And the little girl's like, yeah, you are awesome. Let's uh, get married. Um, so they do that which is totally great, um, except she's a 10-year-old child, and she cannot handle the sabbat. Like, she's not developed enough to even begin to handle it. And um, by the 20th century, like, within a very short time, we're talking like 20 years or less, the little girl has lost herself to the beast. He's not able to impart upon her the specifics of his path. He can't, she just can't, handle it she's not mentally equipped to deal with it and she's lost to her beast and he's like damn it no i'm not gonna let the beast take my wife my beautiful bride and he's like here what we're gonna do is we're gonna use my awesome supreme coldonic sor sorcery combined with my uh my unparalleled ability with vicissitude and we're just gonna clamp you to my spine we're going to graft your tiny little 10-year-old body to to my body, and I'm going to work on figuring out a way to bring you back from the clutches of the beast. Well, uh, there isn't a way to do that. It's just nope. not, That's just not a thing. Once you're lost, you're lost for good. Now, the problem is they're now connected. They're essentially one entity with two brains. One is a ravening beast, and the other one was a paragon on a path, but now... Her beast taunts him. Her beast tries to draw his out. And they show you, like, the drop in his path from a nine, like, almost complete mastery of, you know, what metamorphosis is, Which, down to a three. And we're talking Ozzy Dahaka. Right? right. That's what they refer to their Golconda. Mm -hmm. um, thus adding that, can only humanity reach Golconda? No. No. Any, anyone can. Get that 10, hit that suspire, you can get that. Another book for another time, but that's right. And he was that guy, right? And so, so now you know the the people that uh, the people the the Canites that surround him, his subordinates, 
they're now whispering of failed plans of <laughs> things that he like experiments that he can no longer complete because he's essentially spending all of his time trying to lull this creature into like just a you know just to chill just to relax and because they're sort of like combined they're one entity now it's like he's slowly losing himself to the beast because the beast within the girl is taunting him. Well, he has double the beast. Right, absolutely. His own plus hers, and hers is very much in love with him, his beast. Right. And is just pulling, like, that dude's in hell. Right. He's in hell. That's, if any being had it in immortality in print, I can't even imagine. It'd be a great film if they made one. It'd be a good horror film to look at. And it's fantastic. You have, uh, we're skipping some, we're just kind of going through uh, Francisco Domingo de Polonia, Cardinal of the Eastern American Territories. Before he gets that title, I implore you to read the books, the novels that he's in. I fell in love with Polonia. Like, why I love the Sombra Clan is because they don't pick losers. They don't have losers. I like to think that all my characters are that way. I'm, of course, deluded. Everybody loves their own smell, and that's sort of how I'm at. <laughs> right. And uh, Domingo, though, is someone who I very much, before Black Wallace, I would have told you was Domingo. Uh, Polonia here and that's because of his drive his military acumen is in the face of utter defeat he ends up succeeding through a pyrrhic victory that gives him an opening to impress others right and he's in here and he's pivotal to the war uh from for new york for well actually more than that right because he reviews the dc methuselah right mm-hmm. that that gets out there he's a part of that story and uh involved in it very much so and um it's awesome to read how the the Summer Clan works when you meet Noctisum, butchering that butchering that probably. Um, the Friends of the Night they order that uh, Lucida's to be put in a hurt box, and they send uh, Tally the Hound to go seal the deal. And you know he he tries, but she's in the middle of hunting people, La Sombra especially, in war torn New York and whatnot. Right, running afoul of this conglomerate. Right, but you get to hear in these novels some pretty interesting story, and you should check them out. But for right here, this is the this is the aftermath. This is him who won. He survived. And he gets to be who he is. And it gives you insight into how that is. And that's just neither here nor there. Fanboyism, if you will. Right. I just mentioned because he's noteworthy. Sasha Vikos, Kane's Angel. Again, if you're wondering, man, Bob's full of shit about him being Micah and ripping off his genitalia and what? Read the section. Yeah. There's a there is a ton of material about this character, both in the Dark Ages and in the Modern Ages. Plus the vast uh stories in the novels the the clan novels uh, you know the gehenna novel like there's a ton of stuff about this they character. have even a rated x romance novel he's in yeah uh, i, I wouldn't call it romance but it's in there scorched hearts let me check keep talking eternal hearts i think it is but uh it's it's interesting i was in there too and uh they well all of them are in yeah there. you got it eternal hearts uh by lucy taylor and john bolton it is a hardcover adults only white wolf novel made by black dog it's fantastic, by the way. And uh, the the whole ideal behind uh, Vicos is that I really feel there are a few characters who so encapture the ideals. Like when I think of a dark, chthonic uh, entity of vast knowledge and lore and whatever, and I just fantasize about what that's like, Vicos is definitely within the, the hallmark, almost spot on as to what I would envision in terms of that. No way the specific detail, but like I would want that feel of an alienated entity that establishes fear 
and and admiration all in one. And he and he she she as we have to call her now, Sasha Vikos. It's important that that's there, and you'll learn that tale, and also the rise to to it becoming a Pris guy mm-hmm. uh, from what it was, and that's important because I mean he existed through what Constantinople's fall, uh, met Michael the Archangel uh, back in Constantinople, why that happened and went down, what he did to Simeon his sire what the Obertus are, the Revenant family. It, I mean, they're tied into who this guy is. And very much so, I'll, I'll pause here for a second to let you know, a lot of what we're saying is endgame. Because modern, you have to obviously go in reverse to get the meat and potatoes, and we won't get there till we do the Dark Ages. Right. But for now, know that he's awesome here in just the stats and the little story they give you, um, which is enough to use. But to get the meat and potatoes, the grind and everything else, that, that'll come out later on. Now, is this all, is this entire book just like these dark angels of death? Just, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> there, there's one character in particular, you know, if you decide maybe you want to, you know, run a game out of Tijuana or something like that, um, you have uh, characters like El Diablo Verde, right? Uh, El Diablo Verde. Wait, you're going to dare not mention the the Harlem Two Ghetto Posse Tag Team Champions. <laughs> what is what are their names? They're right. I like to think when the Pixie Sticks and the Mountain Dew wore off, that's when they made these guys. None can withstand the might of El Diablo Verde. His execution of an inspiring four hundred and fifty degree corkscrew Diablo Canrana, trademark, a feat of athleticism seemingly impossible for a combatant of his size, routinely brings the bloodthirsty crowd to its feet. Is Chupacabra Hell Driver, trademark. Here we go. Here it is. EWW's current cruiserweight champion, Lucha Daredevil Huitzil Colibri, <laughs> is whispered to be a Jaguar warrior of the elusive Bastet, while international champion Diamond Duncan Dunsern's, remember Dunsern's a Giovanni reference, violent appetites and blood red kilt inspire gruesome speculation from persons knowledgeable in the ways of the Fae. The tag team division is dominated by two of New York's meanest, Asamine anti-tribute terror twins, Sakati and Farouk Scorpio Mustafa. These 23-time champs are collectively known as the two-hot nation of Harlem ghetto posse gangsta experience. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, uh, but like I said, it's not it's not all like it's not all just like dark angels of the night. Some of it's ridiculous, and you know, if you want to put an El Diablo Verde in your game or a Farouk Scorpio Mustafa, you go right ahead. <laughs> you knock yourself out. Gaze upon the magnificence of El Diablo Verde. <laughs> There's a couple people. Um, if you're wondering, Brunhild, leader of the Valkyrie, um, is in here. If you're wondering mm-hmm. what was going on over in Norway, read it. She's in here. You have um, Fatima Alfakati, the Hand of Vengeance arguably a love of mine uh definitely a child of thetmus i'll stop myself there because i could talk hours but she's she's fantastic read as well you have um who's my buddy where'd he go oh ambrogino made the list if you were playing the giovanni chronicles and want to know if he made it yes right i just i'm only gonna put it that way because personally a guy is just and it's because of the review we've read about him so much that now i I know he's very good and versed at flying. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, but there's uh I mean, it's it's a veritable who's who, you know. Uh is it every character? No, but it's all the important ones and um quite a lot of the supporting cast as well. And then of course we have to I mean, we're not gonna spend two hours on this book because you you need to read it, you know? 
or you don't, whatever you want to do. But there's a ton. Dracula's right. in this book. Right. To know what's going on with him. You have uh, Xavier, uh, the former Gangrel Justicar. Important to note, because even his background here, it kind of gives you an idea why the Gangrel left. Right. Right, why they are considering it an exodus. They were not booted. They didn't break a law. They willingly left. And Gehenna's part of it. That's actually the part. Um, Dracula is good because to read about him here dispels a lot of... There's a lot of hoopla people are going to talk about who haven't read this right here, and it's fair, right? If you haven't read the Children of the Inquisition, they had him had in it before. If you're not going to read the modern update now, you're going to miss one very specific point. White Wolf does their best to honor Dracula and the reason why the product was moved on, why Vampire is even popular. Right. It's only news the first character. Right. You can't argue Dracula's impact on it. And he's in here, but use him as you will. Right. And here he's kind of aloof and neutral. He's written neutral on purpose. And why didn't the Zemis just kill him? I mean, he's the only person in print that I know of that forced the Methuselah Zemis to embrace him. Right. I do mean forced him. I mean, those are monsters. And he was right. like, you will make me. And it's an interesting story. Read it. You should love it. Um, and then uh, let's uh, let's cap, let's bookend this with uh, the real odd dilemma here. And uh, if you've read this book before, if you're familiar with this material, you probably already know what we're talking about. Um, but very much like the Black Hand, the Camarilla has its own little warlord type and uh, his name is Karsh boy there sure are a lot of similarities between Alana Jav and Karsh it kind of looks similar they definitely come from the same clan they're both the same generation huh that's weird also they're both on the same path huh I think it's even the same same numerical level also right? if you read a what is it a I can't remember his name his counterpart it's Kar- Alana Jav yeah Alana Jav's background mentions that after after the Mongol Empire thing, he went and rode possibly rumored with like the Seljuk Turks. Right. Type thing. Oh, look at here. It's rumored that this guy fought with the Ottoman Empire, the Turks. They call him Great Samir. And it's like, hmm. <laughs> I have to read his image. The character's presented almost in a mythological way. And I'm going to read you a couple of things just to share in the humor. In his image, he is a towering mass of strength and sinew, a lion-maned colossus, broad-featured, dusky-skinned, crisscrossed from head to toe with the scars of a thousand battles. Um, His physical traits, the way that they present those, and storytellers, feel free to present it how you wish. Karsh swings his sword and enemies fall. Persons who have touched him claim his skin has acquired the strength of diamonds. They don't give you numbers at all, uh, but, you know, they do for his mentals. Uh, his age is indeterminate, and his embrace is meh, early 13th century, judging from historical cues. Uh, his allies are eight, and that's the inner circle. So what is this telling us? Are Karsh and Alana Jav the same person? Hmm. Um, we don't know. But it certainly seems like it. I mean, we can go further. We've done this. I mean, we mm-hmm. can compare his exact stats if you like. Right. They're they're there. Right. I mean, you can look at it. I mean, they're they're side they're side by side for what what they have, or you can just make them two different people. Yeah. I mean, that's that's as we were told. I mean, they literally you could see it. Right. It's right. one of those great conspiracies. It's a gangrel who's hell bent on war for war's sake. Right. How do you guarantee there's war? You guarantee there's eternally two sides of a war. Right. So if he's the seraph in the black can and he's the warlord of the Camarilla, there will always be war. <laughs> right. He can just right. instigate it. Right. 
But also the conspiracy that is implied there is even more terrifying because if his allies are the inner circle and he's the seraph of the black hand, what does that mean? Does that mean that it's, it's all the same? Is it like one small group of individuals ruling the entire world and creating conflict for everyone arbitrarily for their own means and ends? Could be. It's your game. So you're the storyteller. Because we even sat down. We uh, He probably won't remember this, but we met Justin Achille. We've talked about it before. And we were like, hey, Justin, we have just one question. Are these guys the same? And he was like, mm, and didn't give us an answer. Because when you, when you look at it, right, when you look at it, you can think of their nature, right? It's both Survivor. One's a monster, though, but he's a seraph of the black hand. Right. The other one's a fanatic. Right. Come on. Right? Like, that's a small deflection. And you could look at it, and you could say two people have distinctly different ideas, or it's possible some writer thought they were making something completely different, <laughs> sat down and threw it together. It happens. I've, right. done, I've done that before, where you're sitting down thinking, i got to make a prince, and i got to make a seneschal for the same city. And strangely, they both end up being almost the exact same person. Right. You're like, this can't happen. But I feel it's deliberate. I feel there's enough checks and balance that it's there, but mistakes happen. Right. Of course, it could be just a matter of... Uh, they are two different people and they're so strikingly similar and so evenly matched that in your game, there will be a duel that will end in the world. Like which a pretty even duel of boring proportions, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're both going to meet what and collide. If, and you, if, if you want like a, like bad. a, if you want like an anime ending, there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah. So uh, what are your thoughts about this book? Let's wrap it up. Dude, the bro. thoughts about this book are too much. It's another must. Yeah. It's, it's a book that I say you got to have if you want to know. And like, when you talk about Gehenna, I always like pre-Gehenna. Our game is pre-Gehenna. Right. And because Gehenna ain't going to happen. Right. It's well, it's looming. It's, you know, it's not, there There are little cues here and there, but it is it is like the, the ages, like the, the time of thin blood is near. You know, it's like, but are you really going to go there? I say have enough to have all the content involved, not to come to an end, but to tell the many stories that can come from it. That's the point. I believe in giving players leeway to tell a unique tale to be their own snowflake. But I want it to be done from an angle of like realism. I know it's weird. It's fictional. Talking about realism, this book gives you a good gauge. Whenever I look at stats and want to know if something clicks, a lot of times I, this, this is where my, my seed comes from. My, my school, my university of thought comes a lot from the basis of this book and not just here. Dark Ages has books where it gives you more how we built stuff, how it gets there to see how the points speak to the history, speak to the stats. And that's, and that's what we're talking about in relevance. But this book does something phenomenal more. It teaches you to see story through connected backgrounds. Right. The ability to think of a, a plot from three different backgrounds that they're from similar areas, but definitely different people. But what could we add here? What right. can I be inspired by? And it'll do that for you if you read them. Right. And even even when you decide that, well, you know what, I'm just going to I'm, I'm going to forego all of the white wolf material and I'm going to build my own city with my own prince, my own primogen. You know, I'm going to make my own Justicars. Cool. When you do that, make those backgrounds, make those character histories connect in those ways. You know, use that to inspire you to make your own city if you choose to do that. You know, I mean, there's nobody that's going to tell you that you can't have these concepts in Duluth, Iowa, whatever, you know, wherever you make your city, yep. you know, there's plenty of places geographically out there where you can take the time and build something and present it to your players, but just use these as a basis, use the concepts there to help you create, 
your own masterpiece. And then I guess now you could just write it up, put it in Storyteller's Vault, and everybody can play it. And we'll all applaud you because you're awesome and we didn't think to do it. Which, that's the point, right? Everybody has a hand in telling a fantastic story, which is the point of the material. Right. So, yeah, uh, definitely a must-have. It's an awesome, like, tabletop, like, paper book. If you can get a copy of it, get out there and get it. If you can't, buy a PDF of it. But certainly, it should be one included in your library. Read it for yourself. Know all the characters in there. Go beyond what we've presented to you. Because, man, like I said at the beginning, we're barely cliff notes. We're just two dudes reviewing. <laughs> and look, you see, you see how much time it took to talk about the little. We got through what, maybe nine characters, if that, I mean, out of an yeah. entire. And there was a plethora. We didn't even talk about Urshul Gee or Alice Rod or right. the we didn't, many we, others. We really didn't even talk about any of the Camarilla characters, the Inkanu that are in here, just the unaligned, independent characters. There is a ton of stuff in here. It's no bullshit. It starts out here's some characters. It's the end. No more characters. I think the book's flawless. Yeah. Can't even see. I mean, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. Yeah, it is definitely a great book. So uh, without further ado, let's wrap this biatch up Mm -hmm. and um, we'll talk about what we're going to talk about next week real quick. Um, Venture in it. uh, It is a clan book, I believe. And it is clan book Venture. Clan book Venture. Hey, do you guys remember when we did the second adventure clan books? This is totally fucking different. Pardon my French, but it's way fucking better, too. The secret masters are gone. Yeah, there's no more secret masters. Thank you, revised edition, for getting rid of whatever the hell that was all about. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, But yeah, we will get into the details of the Venture Clan in the quote-unquote modern nights. And by modern, I mean turn of the century. Um, So like 16 years ago. Um, Lore of the Clans updates stuff more. But this is going to be like the traditional perspective on the clan. This is the perspective that we use. When we run Ventru, this is how we run Ventru. So uh, stay tuned for that. Great clan book. Uh, one of the, honestly, one of my favorites. It completely changed my perspective on playing that clan and running that clan and what that clan meant because my perspective, you know, when we first started <laughs> playing was hidden masters you know not not to completely diminish that was a good clan book but there was some wonk this is like structure and a real telling a real tale of what this clan is and it's revised it's just all around better so stick with us check that out next week um we have a nerd words podcast coming this sunday if you like what we do over there give that a listen and if you are a patron if you are a backer on our patreon we have a uh, a tale of the path of Cain coming for you uh, this week. So stick with us there. Otherwise, we'll see you later. Have a good one.